This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 16th of June 2021. Thank you to our audience for giving us a couple of days off uh, over the long weekend, over the last couple of days. I had a nice break, although I think Norman just worked throughout anyway, didn't you, Norman? I did, unfortunately. Yep. But here I am, fit as a fiddle, ready to go. (laughs) I celebrated by getting my first dose of my COVID vaccine, which is a very exciting milestone for me. Well done. How do you feel? I don't mind if I get a few side effects because it shows that it's working and it shows that they didn't inject me with like saline or something instead of with the vaccine itself, (laughs) which of course I know that they did do because they're professionals, unlike me. I'm sure they did. So speaking of vaccines, Norman, a different vaccine than the one that we usually talk about. We're usually talking about AstraZeneca and Pfizer, but today we're going to talk about Novavax, which is one of the four vaccines that the Australian government originally had agreements for us to get supply of. And there's been phase three clinical trial results released over the last couple of days by the company. They haven't been peer reviewed yet, but they look very promising. Yes. So big caveat here, this is a press release. So it's not even a preprint at the moment. At least we can't find a preprint. Um, there may be, may all be one, but no, this is this is a press release from the company. If what they're saying is right, then it's quite remarkable. This is probably even better performing than mRNA vaccines. So they're getting pretty much 100% coverage, they say, in the clinical trial, protection against moderate to severe disease, which is fantastic. In what, what they've quoted with mRNA and with um, Astra, is 95 to 100% for severe disease. So that's really good and very high efficacy overall. So this is what's been promised as a seriously good vaccine. It does turn out, does look as, if, as though it is. And then they seem to have got really high performance to variants. And not all were variants of concern that they looked at, but this was a trial in the United States and Mexico with about 30,000 people. And the overall efficacy was 90.4%, which is preventing all symptomatic disease. They did capture variants in the study and they they weren't necessarily variants of concern, although they did pick up some of the alpha strain in there, but the variants that they did pick up, they showed pretty good efficacy for as well. So really promising results. It's really hard to compare apples with apples with clinical trials because the clinical trials for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were done months ago before the variants of concern that we're now concerned about were really apparent. So even though I think the original results that came out of those trials were like 95, 94, the fact that this is coming out at 90% efficaciousness overall overall is actually probably comparable. Yes, there's no question. It's performing right up there at the same level. And we've got 50 million doses ordered. Well, when are we going to get them? Because I know that Novavax has had some supply chain problems at the start. Yeah, they've had manufacturing problems. Um, very briefly, this is a protein-based vaccine. It's a spike protein attached to what's called an adjuvant, which is quite complicated. And I think they've had problems with their manufacturing process. I've no idea whether those are sorted out, and that could delay it. So what's our timeline? Are we still going to see it in the last quarter of the year, which I think is what they were originally saying? They're saying quarter three for getting the the application for approvals in. So they're applying to the FDA and presumably, given that we've got 50 million doses, they'll be applying to us as well. Um, Let's hope it's a slightly faster process than they've done before. But hopefully they've had a lot of data from Novavax along the way, so it shouldn't take too long to get approval here. Is this going to really speed up our vaccine rollout process? Because we've had troubles in Australia getting that vaccine coverage as high as possible. There's been concerns around the safety of AstraZeneca. There have been some real safety concerns for people of certain age groups. Is this going to save us? I think it's 
too coming it's probably going to land a bit too late to speed things up i mean we, what we really need is it to land in quarter three because we're not going to get big amounts of Pfizer, I think, until quarter four. So if we could get it in quarter three, then that would really make a difference to because I think a lot of people would come forward for this and um, we'd see that boosting. If it arrives at the same time as Pfizer, then it's going to be easier to handle. So this doesn't need deep freezing from remember from my memory. And so it's going to be easier to handle. So it's a bit like Astra in terms of its ease of handling. It certainly will be welcome. The other interesting use for the Novavax will be as a booster shot. And what they've looked at, and they've got a trial going on in the UK, as to whether mixing Novavax with other vaccines works. And they're, you know, the, the rumour is, that still yet to be um, even press released, is that they're, they're getting very promising results. So it could be that Novavax is used for, as a booster shot for people who've had Astra. So we've got a fair bit to get through today. We, we want to talk about some really big news that happened with AstraZeneca last week, as well as what's happening overseas in Canada and Britain. But let's first talk about this news last week. Norman, there was a woman who tragically died after receiving AstraZeneca, and it's it's understood that it's linked to the vaccine itself. Yes, it's, it is, it is um, a vaccine-linked death, unfortunately, and sadly and tragically. And I think it spoke to quite a few people. I was, I was talking around, I did a story um, the other night for 7.30. And when I talked around people who were actually in the game, you know, researchers and clinicians, they were a bit spooked by this story, this woman, because she had a sudden and catastrophic stroke, although she had had symptoms of a headache for some time before that. And I think that um, really what this raises is a statistic, a really important statistic here, which is once you're beyond 60, Two things happen. Not only does the risk of the clotting problem reduce quite significantly, also the reduce of severe disease reduces. So two things happen as you get younger. The clotting problem increases in incidence, but also the severity, the risk of severity increases. Of the actual syndrome, the thrombosis with thrombocytopenia. Of the actual syndrome. That's right. That's right. And there's two tiers to that. One is the the clotting in the brain, clotting in the tummy, which gives you the more severe syndrome, and the other is where you get more a clot in the leg and maybe it goes to the lungs. Not trivial, but nonetheless, it's the tier one, the first one that really is the problem. And it's that severe end. And there are about 15 cases of that. And when you look internationally, the 50 to 59-year-old group do have that more commonly than the 60 to 70-year-old group. And so the question then is, do you change the rules to allow people between 50 and 59 to get Pfizer, to have that choice. And a couple of people on um, on 7.30 the other night said we should. So it remains to be seen. Do we have a response from the TGA yet on whether these people in their 50s should be given Pfizer instead of Astra? Well, it could have changed by the time you hear this coronacast, but two nights ago we I interviewed uh, Professor John Skerritt, who runs the Therapeutic Goods Administration, and the answer was their antennae are out, they're watching it, they're looking at the data and they're going to make week-by-week -week decisions on this. But at, but at the moment they feel okay about the 50-year-old cutoff, but they say they're reviewing that all the time. You definitely don't want to trivialise this. This is a really terrible, terrible outcome. What kind of message does it send to people who in all likelihood are going to have a safe vaccine experience and they're going to be protected by it? It really could undermine people's faith in AstraZeneca even more. I think that's the risk. And the risk is if you change from 50 to 60 and make that cut off 60, then people are saying, oh, they're just messing around here, they don't know what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that if you 
just simply say to people between 50 and 59, you, you can have your choice of Pfizer if you want. The risk is low of both of the, having the clotting condition at all and indeed having severe clotting problems. But if you choose to get the Pfizer, we're going to lift the rules on that rather than making a, a hard change to 60. That probably is the best way to give people some freedom of, of decision-making. And there'll be people in Victoria, for example, and in other places who say, I just want to get covered, I want to get my two doses, so I've got some peace of mind. And I think that what's going to have to happen with the TGA is they're going to have to really look hard at uh, booster shots towards the end of the year. Well, one country that has given out tens of millions of doses of vaccination so far, most of them actually AstraZeneca, is the UK. And despite the fact that nearly 45% of their population is now fully vaccinated, they're seeing exponential growth in COVID there. What's going on? Yeah, they've got an outbreak of Delta, the 617.2, and they're going exponential in uh, in England and in Scotland. So there are not, in other words, that's how many people do you pass it on to, is between 1.2 and 1.4 in England and Scotland. It's up to 1.4 in Wales. It's up to 1.3 in Northern Ireland. You know, there are There are error values here, so it's not necessarily as high as that, but it could be. And they're reckoning that the contagiousness over and above the alpha variant, that's the what used to be called the UK variant, is, in, is between 40 and 80% higher. So it's more contagious. And they're reckoning it's up to 13,000 new infections a day in England at the moment. And the doubling time may be as low as seven days. So they're really getting a problem here, which is partly because they've handed out first doses, but not second doses to a huge extent. And part of that problem is the 12-week gap between first and second doses for both Pfizer and and Astra. So as our guest on Friday said, though, we really need, at least in Australia, which is where the Burnett Institute modelling was uh, was on, 70% or more of the Australian population vaccinated to stop the spread. In the UK, even though, like we say, there's been tens of millions of doses handed out, there's still less than 50% covered, which means they still need additional public health interventions to control the spread. Which is why in the last 24 or 46 hours, uh, the Britain has decided to delay lifting of the restrictions that they had planned for next Monday. And the interesting comparison here also is Canada. So Canada, in a relatively short space of time, has got up to 64% of the population. The eligible population has had one dose of vaccine. So Canada is not showing much hesitancy. They have got COVID running. They have had a lot of lockdowns in various provinces. But now they just slammed out getting the first dose out there and not worrying too much about the second dose at this point, just to get some degree of coverage. And then they'll work through the, the second dose. So it's been an interesting strategy. And in some ways, the Victorian strategy has been similar. Let's just get as many doses out there as possible. And now they've got a bit of a problem trying to adjust to the second dose situation. Um, but you know, you probably don't need to give Pfizer within three weeks, you can probably extend it a bit quite safely and you might even get a slightly bigger immune response. Right. So you're thinking that Australia could take a leaf out of Canada's book and perhaps just be doling out doses as they come in rather than ensuring that three-week supply. Yes, it's very hard to get visibility on this, but there is an independent observer who reckons that there there are, when you look at the data, the Commonwealth are holding back quite a lot of vaccine doses. Is Canada got some sort of advantage though? Like they're right there next to the United States where the Pfizer's being manufactured. Are they safe? Is that a safer bet for them? I don't know about the procurement issue with Canada, but the thing about Canada, which is they've got an almost identical healthcare system to ours. I mean, our healthcare system is modelled on the Canadian system. And the um, so they've got general practitioners, they've got a lot of primary care, they've got a universal healthcare system. It's a pretty good healthcare system in Canada. And they're just using that to get it out there. 
Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today, but join us again tomorrow. We'll see you then. 